0: you are listening to the golf science lab podcast my name is cordy walker and i'm on a mission to figure out how to improve the way that we learn and get better at golf i've been able to travel all over the world talking to leaders in the industry from instructors to researchers to golfers themselves learning how they're getting better at golf and what that means for you hey everyone welcome back to this week's episode We are coming off of a really fun little mini-series we did last week on practice and the launch of our new training here at Golf Science Lab called Practice Secrets, taking a look at the core concepts and strategies that you need to know if you want to get more efficient with your practice. Really fun. We've had a couple hundred people go through that already, heard some really awesome stories of people, their eyes being open of, you know, hey, I need to start doing this and kind of go this route or, you know, actually I'm on the right path or wow, you know, like I can really see where I've been wasting some time and can get more efficient. So it's been super fun. I'm just blown away by the response and so excited to keep getting this message out there. It's really the mission around here is to help people learn and practice more efficiently, more and better. And um, getting that out the door is a huge step in the right direction towards accomplishing that mission. So thank you. Thank you to everyone. If you got my emails, if you joined, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Today on the podcast, though, we are having a fascinating conversation. I love talking about long drive and power and speed and distance. I honestly just find it personally really enjoyable because I love trying to gain speed. So this is a fun conversation with Bobby Peterson and Ryan Reesbeck, both long drive competitors themselves. Bobby is now a a coach who specializes in this, which is a coach of Kyle Berkshire, who's just this year's uh, world long drive champ. And so we sit down and just have just a great conversation. In the beginning here, we're going to talk about Ryan's kind of journey going from someone that just played golf for fun and tried out long drive and found that he was good at it and loved it and what he did to become really, really good at it. And then, you know, get some advice on what are some of the things that you can do, you and I can do to get better from these guys that are just experts at world long drive and hitting the ball just a super long way. So really unique opportunity, really fun stories. This is just a great conversation. We recorded for probably an hour and just had a a good time. I enjoyed it. Hopefully we'll have them on again to talk. But we're going to dive in here to this conversation. You're going to enjoy it. Let's get to it. Today's episode is brought to you by Whoop. Whoop is a fitness tracker that provides daily insight into your recovery, your strain, and your sleep. You might have seen it on the wrist of Rory as he won the Tour Championship or other Tour players. I had to find out more, so I reached out, got my own band, talked to some of the folks at Whoop, and I was blown away. And then, lucky enough, they wanted to support and sponsor the podcast and let more folks know about it as well. Here are the three things you need to know there's three metrics strain recovery and sleep strain is for those that are looking to track more than just steps track how strong your day is from start to finish and this is key get insight into how much you exert yourself during training second one is recovery that is so you can get daily insight into how ready your body is to perform by looking at some biometrics such as heart rate variability resting heart rate and sleep performance and the last one is sleep It's all about optimizing the way that you sleep by getting target sleep times based on how strenuous your day was and your performance goals. You can monitor your sleep stages, cycles, time in bed, actual sleep, sleep efficiency, and so much more. And, you know, the best players in the world are paying attention to this, as we found out from the Whoop CEO, Will Ahmed.
1: You know, Justin Thomas was telling me how obsessed he is with sleep this is a guy who will just get up in the middle of dinner to go to bed if he feels like he's not going to bed at the appropriate time because he knows that he has to get a certain number of hours of sleep in order to feel that recovered in order to feel you know peak on the day of the tournament or you know even on the weekends right Right. he was saying that he actually had a green recovery on the sunday of leading the bmw tournament i think that's pretty cool right you know normally when you're leading the tournament you're going to feel an additional level of stress in his case it was the opposite because he's figured out ways to to train his body and and to use whoop
0: definitely check this out and learn more about whoop it's w-h-o-o-p.com use the code gsl for 15 percent off your membership that is gsl definitely go check out whoop.com
1: I'm Bobby Peterson. I am a long drive coach and focus on teaching people how to hit a golf ball a long ways. I started in golf in in 90 when I got out of the military and competed in long drive events almost immediately up until uh, 2009. I competed in the open division and realized at the age of 42, I needed to find a different line of work. (laughs) and uh, the knowledge that i would gained over the years, I thought I'd pass it on. So I actually started with uh, Landon Gentry and James East in 2010, trying to share my knowledge as far as club building and technique and and stuff like that. And uh, since 2010, we've amassed 73 professional long drive wins, including a senior champion, a ladies world champion, and uh, open champion Kyle Berkshire this year.
2: My name is Ryan Reesbeck. I'm from Layton, Utah, and I started long drive in August, 2010. And uh, I basically started out because my friend who had been to the Remax World Long Drive Championship and watched it, he said that I should try it out after he saw me hit on a hole during a scramble tournament. And so my first event, uh, I drove the, the following week uh, after that scramble tournament, I drove to Albuquerque, New Mexico, where I finished second in a qualifier. And I just uh, kept going ever since. So just love, I love, uh, I mean, I, I love playing golf, but to me hitting the ball far is as fun as it gets in golf. So I love it. And I just kept at, I started doing, after I qualified for the world championships in 2011, I started competing in professional events. And I think I, think I have 10 or 11 tour wins and uh, just keep doing it every year. I think my swing when I first started was it was very typical of the normal amateur golfer, where I, you know, came over the top and hit a big slice. And I could swing fast, but I wouldn't, you know, always hit the center of the club face. And I would always joke about, you know, being able to count the total distance the ball traveled rather than you know the distance down the fairway because it moved a lot from left to right. So it took a long time to kind of figure out. Some of the things i was doing wrong and at first i just thought i just needed to swing as hard as i could because i i'd actually had a little bit of success just trying to hit the ball as hard as i could and then i kind of hit a plateau where i felt like i needed some some more information or training or another pair of eyes to look at me and that's when i uh, hooked up with bobby peterson and started working with him started training with one-stop power shop
1: There's actually two different types of people that I run into most of the time. And that's golfers that want to get faster or fast people that want to be able to find their golf ball. And Ryan was the latter. He, he was pretty fast when I met him. He was, when he first came into sport, I was actually scouting him. I I paid attention to everybody and, and he was hitting some, what I call heavy balls. When they hit the, the ground, they would just run forever but they were real flat, and I noticed that any time that a grid was not fast and running, so if it's a soft grid, if it rained or anything like that, he was in and out of a tournament pretty quick. But in tournaments that was fast, I mean, he would go all the way to the end if not win it. He would. I mean, he was pretty close. And I got the opportunity in Florida. We had a, a tournament, and I actually worked the grid at that tournament. And um, I remember him hitting a golf ball down the right side that I was on. And when he hit the ground, it looked like a rifle shot. It it just took off, and it ran like 80, 90 yards. And Justin Moose hit one that flew probably, I'm going to say, 35, 40 yards past Ryan and rolled a yard. And I was like, man, this guy hits a really good ball, but his ball flight skills and ball flight characteristics are are just awful. So I thought, man, if I ever got a chance to work with him, that's what we'd work on is learning how to flight the golf ball. And getting that thing to carry further and then release. Cause then on soft grids, he would actually do a lot better. You know, and, and then I have other people like uh, Paul Howell. Paul Howell was a great ball striker, really good golfer and he was fast. And I thought he was that type of person that if he trained for it, could become faster. And, and if he was hitting a grid as much as he's hitting a fairway playing a golf, he was going to have a lot of success. And he did within one year, we were able to get him uh, to the top 10 in the world. You know, so and he's won a couple of events in the last few years as well. So those two type of people are w- what we typically see.
0: What do you mean by his his ball flight wasn't wasn't good? He was hitting it too flat. Could you dive dive a bit more into that and what you worked on and that kind of stuff?
1: When I first met Ryan, he was hitting uh, like 4x shafts, just the stiffest shafts you could find, and low loss, but but he was hitting a uh, negative attack angle. So striking down on the ball, he was actually spinning it more. But since he was hitting such a stiff club and low loft, his dynamic loft was still coming out at like six to eight degrees. I mean, it was really low. And uh, so the ball doesn't never, it never really flies. It never gets up in the air. So as as far as he could hit it on a straight line, that's where it would go. And when it hit the ground, it had so much energy. That's why he was getting a roll out of it, you know. So, But he needed to learn how to get his attack angle up and use the loft of the club to actually get the ball up in the air with lower spin numbers and and flight that. And then after we started getting on that, we started learning how to shape the ball and, and using path and face angle to actually hit draws and, and hit fades. You know, whether we're trying to go to a four degree right path with a closed face and still keep a positive attack angle, those types of things. That's what I mean. Being able to shot shape. Just like you would in golf, you got to be able to hit the nine shots. You need to be able to hit something close to those nine shots in long drive, depending on grid conditions, environmental conditions, things like that. You know, so that's where we went to.
2: I didn't realize this, and it's one of the things that Bobby explained to me, but the tournaments and competitions that I had won previous to that, where like he said, the the driving or the grid was was flat and would run, so it might be dry, or it was from an elevated tee box And I had never done well when we were hitting into the wind because the ball would spin too much. Or if the ground was wet, I couldn't carry it far enough because I wasn't gonna get any rollout. So I was always, you know, ten to fifteen yards short when the grid was wet. So these are things that he observed that I didn't observe. So What we tried to do, there's a few things that we tried to do. We tried to add a little spine tilt. We tried to get my hands higher at the top of the backswing in position four. And then I do a little move where I kind of do kind of a partial squat when I drop down. So in the backswing, I would raise up and then I would drop down. And as long as I could counterbalance my weight, my upper body behind the ball, all of a sudden, instead of being like a a negative two attack angle, I'm somewhere between like three and five pretty consistently now, which doesn't seem like, you know, a huge difference, five or six degrees on the attack angle. But when it comes to carrying the ball and getting, you know, optimal ball flight, you know, it's 15 or 20 yards a lot of the time, and sometimes more depending on conditions. So those little tweaks like that really help. We also increased my loft, went to a softer shaft. And uh, before I like he had mentioned earlier, I was, I was basically trying to swing a, just about as stiff of the shaft as I can possibly swing because that would help me to straighten the ball a little bit more Straighten It would straighten the ball flight out a little bit more, but some of the tweaks that we've made of the swing, I can swing just as fast without trying to swing as hard. So I can get a better ball flight, you know, swinging a good smooth swing and produce the same speed as well. So, Things like that, and then that allows you to practice longer. I used to get so worn out; I'd get you know a lot of knots in my shoulders and uh, in my neck from swinging so hard. And now I can I can swing for hours and uh, still not have those same problems. So, so from a health standpoint, that was a, one of the big changes that we made as well.
0: And what kind of results? what is the difference? Like, what was your? I guess what metrics do you care about? Do you monitor? The, and what were some of the differences that you that you saw?
2: I'll give you a good example. I think it was back in 2014, before I started working with Bobby, I had an an average attack angle of like negative 1.2. And my vertical launch was like 8.9. And now I would be somewhere around probably an average of three attack angle. My vertical launch is more like 12, 12 and a half. So just slight, slight tweaks to what we're doing. In that circumstance, that makes me a much better competitor in all conditions. So I still spin the ball a little bit, but, you know, the equipment plays an important part of the competition. A lot of times people will think that you can't hit the ball as far with a little bit more spin. And I think we saw at the World Championships that some of the longer balls had a little bit more spin than and were optimal. A lot of times people want to be somewhere around, you know, sixteen to 1,800 spin and some of the longest balls we saw were between 26 and 2800 spin you know rpm so you can hit the ball far with with a little extra spin too so there's a lot that goes into the equipment that's the other thing that that bobby is an expert at is the club building and making changes to the equipment to fit the the current environment that you're you know hitting in so
1: let me speak to some of the things that we look at with ryan as well we had a we had a very hard time with him for almost a year with alignment, and we actually had a language barrier with alignment because I might would well be saying something like "you need to square up to the target," and I I was talking about his shoulders, and he was probably thinking about lining up his feet. So, and it and it actually cost us an event in uh, Denver Mile High Shootout one year. We struggled all day with trying to get his upper body aligned, and for some reason or another, we kind of got focused on the feet being aligned in a different direction, which, which kind of crossed things up at that tournament. But alignment was a big issue with him. And obviously like he touched on with the attack angle and stuff like that. But the metrics I always looked at was path, face angle, and then attack angle. But then looking at his body motion and what he was doing, once we got his alignment correct, it was the spine tilt away, getting high hands at the top of the swing and then actually counter rotation or separation. We want the lower body going toward the target as the upper body is finishing the takeaway. That little bit of separation is a huge jump in Ryan's ball speed. And if he's center punching it, if he's if he's hitting it in the middle of the club face, he's one of the top competitors in the world when he does that. That's what I look at when I'm watching him.
0: It truly is a fascinating journey that Ryan and Bobby talk about here of optimizing what you have and finding these little ways that you can improve and constantly getting a little bit better. It's really cool to hear that story. One of the other students that Bobby works with at the One Stop Power Shop is Kyle Berkshire, who just won the World Long Drive championship and i asked bobby what some of the keys that they worked on the changes they made the things that they did that helped kyle make some speed jumps to win this past year and i was blown away by some of these answers there's some really cool insights the heart rate thing is just i love that there's got to be something there that we should dive into more here on some future content but let's get into that some of the ways that bobby helped uh, kyle berkshire
1: The first thing I look for is what a golfer's trigger is, how they start their swing. And using force plates, you can actually tell that most people put a little more pressure on their front foot when they initiate their swing and transition to their back foot. But what I noticed real quick with uh, Kyle is he had a little bit of a stutter step with his back foot when he did that, which made him flinch. And when he's trying to go super fast, it threw off his rhythm and the jerking motion actually was causing a little bit of a back problem, spasms and things as he practiced. So he wasn't able to practice as hard and push himself because of that little bit of jerking motion. So we started talking about it and experiment with things, and that's where we came up with the rock motion. And then what, after we kind of were massaging that to get to what we wanted, It wasn't necessarily that we wanted it stepping up in the air or anything. We just wanted to trigger those spots to get it a little smooth, you know, take away and be able to accelerate into the swing versus going from zero to 150 miles an hour close speed, you know, that quick. The golf swing is is less than a second, so he's still going to get to 150 miles an hour in under a second, but how he started was more important than anything else. It's, it's sort of like anything else. If you don't start with the, the right step, how you going to end correctly? So going along that lines, what we did was during testing, he came in averaging 115 miles, I mean, 215 miles an hour um, on his sets. And my goal was to push him uh, average wise up at least one mile an hour every few weeks. And obviously with Kyle and every other long driver in the world, they want that top ball speed. What is the best ball speed, right? And, and obviously for him, he, he wanted 230, which that's a, a great number to, to go after. But my thing was, can we average 216 in a workout? Can we average 217 next? Well, in December, we were 215. By worlds, we were almost 224 miles an hour average on a 32 ball set. So pushing that average, if your average is faster than most of your competitors' top speed, you're going to have more success. And that's all there is to it. Yeah. And he did reach the 230-mile-an-hour peak here at OSPS. But on TV in competition, he was able to go 228 miles an hour and set a ball speed record this year. Wow.
0: Talk me back to the the rocking kind of pre-shot thing. For one it's a trigger, right, to help him mm-hmm. start swinging better, but but also it's it's kind of imitating what he's trying to do in the golf swing as well with his with his pressure, right?
1: Yeah, transition of pressure gets him into the, the motion of moving. But again, the biggest thing for me was we didn't have the jerk in motion which was causing problems in his body. He's told me multiple times over the last few months he is totally pain free where in December when he came to me, he was actually having a little bit of back problems, neck problems, things like that. And that comes from jerking motions, right? I mean, that's that's usually when we get hurt is in a sudden start or a sudden stop. And that was the main thing to get out of it. And most of us have triggers. I mean, either a forward bump of the hands or hips or, or something that gets us going. So I, I kind of like the idea of being in motion and continuing to be in motion versus from a static, Point and then trying to accelerate as fast as you possibly can. So, but it it gives him a good rhythm, and and I've seen a lot of people around the world trying to imitate it now, and it's probably going to help them. Now he's not the first one to ever do this. I mean, the step in motion. There's been plenty of people in the past that have had a little step here or there. I mean, Dominic Massa several years ago used to step in sort of like a a stride baseball swing, but with stride golf swing in it. Jason Eslinger did it for a little while, and others. I mean. You know, a golf uh, swing in motion is not new to the sport. It's just kind of coming to light now, I guess.
0: When you talk with someone who's trying to get better to try and and gain speed, what is your advice? What are the things you have people go experiment with that you've seen work the best?
1: So a couple of things. I, I find that most average golfers are playing too stiff of a shaft. There's no reason in the world that you can't get a little longer club, if especially if you're a little older, move up to a 46 inch club. Get away from those 44, or 45 inch drivers. The USGA allows you to go to 48, so there's no difference in hitting a three iron and hitting a six iron. You know, it's just a longer club. That's the way I look at it. So a driver that's 46 inches versus a driver that's 44 inches, you know, just a couple of inches. So do that. As far as training, there's no substitute for hitting golf balls. Don't be afraid to end your practice on an eight-ball set and hit them just as hard as you can hit them. And eventually, when you hit them as hard as you can hit them and they're going straight, that should transfer over to your average ball speed on the golf course when you're playing golf, at being a little bit faster. So push yourself as far as that. There's a couple of things out there, training aids that I really love. Orange whip is one that I really love. Ultimate Swing Trainer is another one that I love, but there's there's devices out there that can help you increase your club speed that uh, people should look at. And if, if they can get it in their budget or, or you know time, I think they should get those things. But you've got to get a training program that works with your schedule that will allow you to have some consistency in that if you want to increase your speed. That's, that's the only way. You've got to work. Without work, you're, there's no reward.
2: Ryan, do you have anything to add to that? So, Bobby mentioned earlier about club path and base angle, and if players, you know, for example, they can go to the, video, the instructional video driving smarter, driving smarter. they go to that video, we explain how to use that, that uh, your path and base angle to make the corrections to your ball flight. Some people just don't know how to fix their ball flight. I was one of those people, and just, just by Simply observing the ball flight you're hitting consistently, what change you need to make to improve the ball flight will get you a lot of yardage. We do a lot of corporate outings as long drivers where we go to the charity fundraisers or, or some sort of, you know, hitting exhibition. And I see a lot of, of amateur, amateur golfers come through on my hole, and a lot of them just don't know. You know, they, they don't recognize what the ball flight is doing and if they're hitting it too low or too high or, or what is too low and what is too high. So if they were to spend a little bit of time observing the ball flight, usually like what Bobby's talking about, measuring, you know, the launch angle, the attack angle, things like that, they could a lot of clubs nowadays you can adjust the club face and the loft just by unscrewing the head and screwing it back on, you know, with a with a little different change in the in the setup. A lot of people don't even understand they can do that. So, my opinion, one of the best things the amateur golfer can do, is learn about path and face angle and how to beat the ball play and what changes you need to do to the swing to make that, that ball flight. The other thing too is I just, I think that other people just, they don't ever try to swing 100%. Uh, we saw Tony Pinau a few weeks back hit 200 mile per hour ball speed. And it took him several swings to build up to that speed. Well, a lot of times when you play golf, you take one or two practice swings, and then you hit a ball, and then you're off hitting irons and a putter. And then you don't hit another driver for 15 minutes. So being on the driving range and hitting, you know, seven or eight balls in a row, trying to build up your speed and do another set of seven or eight balls to try and build up your speed, that type of work will pay off. In my observation, what I've seen is it usually takes a new long drive competitor uh, about six months to make some significant speed improvements. But once they have trained for about six months, I mean, I've seen people add 10, 15 miles per hour club head speed in a matter of six months, and that's just from swinging. I will give you a tip. This is uh, from personal experience. So one year I determined that I was gonna to get faster. So I, I was swinging a club inside my house all winter long and I, I just trained and trained and trained and it, it, it helped me swing faster but the very first competition I went to I couldn't even hardly hit the grid because I wasn't hitting a ball when I was training I was just swinging so I accidentally uh, developed these swing habits that were not good for my swing for actually hitting a ball so I would say the more that you can swing hard while hitting a golf ball the better off you'll be
0: fascinating you know what's funny is is um i think there's so many people out there that never try to swing hard they 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 want to hit it farther but they never actually try to swing harder and i just find it fascinating i had this like kind of personal breakthrough probably two years ago now where i finally understood that to hit the ball farther you have to try to hit it farther it was groundbreaking (laughs) um i know but like i know so many people that haven't had that moment and it's just like, it's, it's weird, but I'm sure you guys have probably seen that happen before with, with folks.
1: That's a great point because we kind of take it a little bit for granted, I guess, because we do swing hard all the time. We assume everybody else is swinging hard, you know, but so many golfers have had lessons where everything's about control, control, control. And it doesn't matter what person I work with, you know, just say, look, when you're done hitting your driver or practicing or whatever on the range, in your set or in your practice with a set of about eight balls and hit them as hard as you can and then go home but have fun with it and just just hit them hard if you, it's like anything else if you don't try to sprint you're not going to run fast right? you can't walk yourself into being fast that's all there is to it gotcha strain that's one thing straining is good for you it's no no different lifting weights you got to try to lift more than you're capable of to get stronger In training and practice, what we want to do is mix it up. You want to have a certain amount of your practice devoted to mechanics and the fundamental practice as far as ball striking, even using impact tape and controlling where you're hitting it in the club face. And then you want to step back and then do four to eight ball sets of nothing but speed with the intention of, I like to hit great shots here, but if I miss one, it's okay. All right. So, but you got to push that speed and push the envelope as far as raising your heart rate. And it, um, something that, that Kyle and I have done this year was we started measuring his heart rate, and we noticed real quick when he got to 160 beats per minute, his ball speed was in the mid-220s. So in Tennessee, when he set the ball speed record at 228 miles an hour, immediately after he hit it, he looked at me, and I said, what's your heart rate? He checked it. His heart rate was 208 beats on his Fitbit. And I looked at mine and I was 140 sitting in the bleachers. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, I was pumping pretty hard too. And he did it on his eighth ball. So that was pretty, pretty amazing. But your heart rate actually has that because your body, obviously, you get in that fight or flight mode when your heart rate gets that high, right? It's just like in, in any other kind of physical exertion you're doing, running or anything else, your body starts pumping. And pumping adrenaline, uh, endorphins, and all of that stuff going on, you know, so it, it allows you to get superhuman strength, in my opinion, at that point. And that's what we're looking for in long drive.
0: That's interesting because, like, most people would probably be like, oh, I need to breathe and, like, lower my heart rate and calm down and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, like, that
1: would, I think that'd be the common, like, thought, though, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, in practice, we push him that. We push them to understand what is going to happen to you. Same thing with Ryan. I mean, not just Kyle, but all the guys. I'll push them to the point that, you know, the break point almost. And you still got to hit a ball and you still got to hit it in a grid. That's why we had to build a training facility here. We want to do this and hit to a grid, not to a driving range. We're hitting not only to the grid, but to specific points in the grid when we're shot shaping and you're trying to do it with your heart pumping like that. You're almost out of breath. You're about to collapse because we're trying to, to pressure the person almost into the, the breaking point again, because when you're on TV and you're on live TV, especially, and the cameras are on you and you're starting to think about that little thought of, hey, man, I'm about to win a tournament. That's when that pressure hits you, because I always say everybody can hit a free throw, but can you do it with two seconds on the clock and you're down by one? And that's kind of the feeling of being on that stage when you got a competitor that's got a ball there at 400 yards and you got to best him on your next ball or you lose, uh, let's, let's see how your blood pressure and nerves are then uh, and try to calm yourself and just hit, put one in play. Uh, that doesn't work in the sport of long drive. You got to dig down deep and come up with some superhuman strength and just put one out there that can't be touched. And you can't delay
2: either. That's a, what a lot of people don't realize with the in long drive, there is a clock running. So you yeah. you can't stop and take a break for a minute. You know stand behind your ball and and you do too much of that i mean you're gonna run out of time and that is all for this episode thank
0: you guys for coming and hanging out it was really fun to talk long drive with you all hopefully we can do this again sometime if you're interested in learning more they have a new program out called driving smarter driving farther we have a link on the post along with this episode i make sure to check that out it's a really cool series i was watching some of these videos before we uh before i chatted with them and they put together some really cool stuff it's fun to watch them in action and, and kind of see everything that's going on towards their unique approach so driving some smarter driving farther check that out link in uh along with the post here thank you so much for listening to this episode make sure to subscribe itunes apple Podcasts, spotify wherever you listen we'll be back next week with another new episode this episode was hosted by me, Cordy Walker. Follow me on Twitter at Cordy Walker and is edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Publish Productions.